Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. We're really excited for this week's show. This week, Alex and I are joined by a great friend of mine, Ralph Neese. Um, Neese, gosh, a Republican uh, until he was 50. Uh, we've caught, uh, crossed paths uh, along the way. Uh, both of us uh, worked for Senator Kennedy uh, for years, uh, and, and Ted Kennedy once called him the 101st Senator for Civil Rights. He led the fight against uh, Robert Bork. And I, I really regard him as one of the nation's foremost uh, civil rights leaders. And I'm not the first person to call him that. Ralph, welcome to the show. It's good to be back with you, Joe. We, you know, I, I know you again from the time with Kennedy, uh, people for the American way when we were fighting uh, fights in the Supreme Court uh, and, and other things uh, uh, there together. Um, but I wanted to ask you how you got into all this. I mean, it's a fascinating story of uh, 50 years as Republican and then and then leading the fights and the battles that, that you have, uh, both nonpartisan, great success at doing that on, on bipartisan civil rights laws and then uh, and then um, what you've, you've done with the, with with the fight against Bork and other things. I just wanted to, to see how did you get, how did you get into this? Really fortunate, uh, Joe, in so many ways. Uh, after graduating from Notre Dame and Chicago Law School and in, in the Army, uh, I got a job. My first job uh, is the chief legislative assistant to Senator Edward W. Brooke. And many of your listeners will uh, know or remember that he was the first popularly elected United States senator and a liberal Republican, by the way. Uh, liberal Republicans like Edward Brooke and Ralph Nace uh, no longer exist. Right. I became a Democrat lately on my 50th birthday. But I was with him for six, seven years. Uh, then with David Durenberger for a couple of years. And then I had my first bout with Guillain-Barre syndrome and was literally paralyzed for uh, a good six months. Uh, and then I was asked to become the uh, executive director of the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, the lobbying arm of the entire civil rights movement. And that's when I hooked up with uh, Senator Kennedy right. in a serious way. And over those 12 Reagan-Bush years, uh, we were able not only to defeat the radical right Republicans, we were able to strengthen all the major civil rights laws, including the Voting Rights Act extension, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and of course, to defeat Robert Ford. Uh, after that, uh, I had an opportunity uh, to run for Congress, and I, I failed, and I hired some guy by the name of Trippy for my <laughs> sep second attempt. But as sometimes happens, fate and fortune, good fortune, actually, I became at 53, three years after becoming a Democrat, a father for the first time. And as you remember, Joe, uh, after getting a low mark from you on my fundraising prowess in the first <laughs> half of the year of- uh, <laughs> Yeah, I do remember. No, I remember. <laughs> you gave me a C. <laughs> uh, uh, I went with people for the American way for yeah. eight years. So primarily civil rights and civil liberties. I had a chance to be uh, uh, asked to be part of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, uh, in 2009 and 2010. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of affordable medicine, a lot of affordable health care. But the major part of my portfolio, and has been for several years again, uh, democracy reform, focusing very specifically on voting rights. And that's where I am right now. I'd like you to talk a little bit about the Bork 
uh, confirmation fight uh, too, uh, in, in terms of you know sort of setting up where we're where we're now. But uh, you know what what was it like back then on these kind of nominations and versus what we're seeing, uh, what we saw from McConnell and the gang to you know, you know over the Obama years. So different in, in, in so many ways, uh, because back then, and confirmation fights aren't new, I think 20% of all of the Supreme Court nominations uh, uh, in history uh, have been either defeated or their nominations have been withdrawn. Uh, but the biggest one, certainly in the last 50 or 60 years, uh, was the Robert Bork Supreme Court nomination. Uh, and that's when I really worked with Senator Kennedy for those three or four months and he was going to be, if confirmed, succeeding God by the name of Supreme Court Justice Lewell Powell, who was the deciding vote on just about everything, and certainly on voting rights uh, and uh, uh, civil rights generally. And Senator uh, Kennedy came out of the starting blocks and explained what was at stake. Uh, and that's whether we we're going to have Robert Bork's America uh, or the America that we had become. Uh, with respect to reproductive rights, with respect to civil rights, environmental rights. It was an extraordinary public education uh, campaign. And Joe Biden and Ted Kennedy were really the two heroes. Uh, Joe Biden uh, was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and it was a masterful performance, truly a 12-day seminar in constitutional law in history and interpretation. But the very important thing a lot of people don't recall is that they said, oh, you defeated him, but what happened next? Well, next came two people, one, uh, Anthony Kennedy, and the second one, David Souter. David Souter, of course, was, like me, a liberal Republican. Uh, Anthony Kennedy was a conservative, but went with us, the civil rights community, about a third of the time. Uh, he was the deciding vote, for example, on marriage equality in the Lawrence versus Texas case and civil rights cases. So that defeat of Robert Bork allowed us for about a quarter of a century to protect uh, many of the constitutional rights and constitutional liberties we've taken for granted for many decades. Yeah, if Bork, if he hadn't uh, won that fight, uh, those things, that things that we do take for granted definitely wouldn't be there. We'd be even in worse shape uh, yeah. today. Uh, than, than and, and some advances like on marriage equality. Uh, and, and uh, LGBTQ uh, issues and affordable action and other things. Yeah, Ralph, I got to ask you, and I want to get back to the, the Joe Biden's role in this in a minute, but one of the interesting things about the Bork fight was you, it was really a coalition. And I know you, you were instrumental in putting that together. And, you know, our listeners will know how Joe and I and the Lincoln Project have been kind of putting together a really disparate coalition to try to fight similarly today, but you brought a lot of people who are coming at it from a completely different way together. I mean, everybody from, you know, the NAACP to Planned Parenthood to, I mean, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. How, how were you able to kind of get everybody pulling in the same direction on this? The Leadership Conference uh, itself, Alex, was uh, an old coalition uh, going back to 1950. And by the time I took over, there were 160 national organizations, very, very diverse coalition of minority organizations, religious organization, women's organization, labor, uh, a very powerful coalition. But we were joined by another 140 uh, national organizations within a matter uh, of a couple of days of the nomination 
uh, being announced. Uh, one of the challenges of any coalition, and certainly the civil rights coalition, the lobbying arm of the civil rights movement, uh, you have to have a consensus uh, in, in order for everybody to proceed in an effective way and win a particular battle. Now, in legislation, that's really hard. Right. <laughs> With We're respect seeing that. to a nomination. <laughs> <laughs> With respect to a nomination, not so hard. But your point, Alex, is a very important one. Not just the NAACP and uh, the National Organization for Women and the labor groups and others, but we brought in Planned Parenthood. We brought in uh, uh, NARAL. Uh, by the way, that was not hard because obviously Roe versus Wade was going to be a target at the top of the list for Robert uh, Bork. But what was so important, it underscores your point. How can we make it a fight over someone's judicial philosophy, not just the abortion issue, not just civil rights issues or environmental issues or health issues, but a judicial philosophy that would uproot about 50 years of well-settled Supreme Court precedents. And that's what we were able to do, especially with the leadership uh, of Senator Kennedy and Senator Biden. So, Ralph, I, I want to get to something that uh, you wrote in 2016 um, that both echoes what you just said about judicial philosophy and, 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 and how that works, but also presciently scary. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, you wrote this in 2016, and you were warning that there wasn't enough focus in that 2016 election on the on the consequences of the su Supreme Court if Donald Trump won. And I'm reading here, quote, if Donald Trump becomes president and names justices in the mold of Clarence Thomas, as he has said he would, a solid right-wing majority on the court would turn back the constitutional clock nearly 80 years, overturning dozens of well-established Supreme Court decisions, protecting fundamental constitutional rights and liberties, and upholding the constitutionality of landmark laws based on the court's interpretation of the Constitution's Commerce Clause. And conversely, several recent court decisions that allow unlimited money into the electoral process, limit gun safety, and undermine the Voting Rights Act could be enshrined for decades. All Americans must understand fully that on November 8th, they will not only decide who will be the next president, but also who will sit on the Supreme Court, perhaps for a generation or more, which is exactly what happened. I mean, it, it, it's scary. Um, that, and in a lot of ways in the same place now uh, that people don't really recognize. I'm worried that in the 2022 election, people don't uh, really recognize the, the stakes that, that uh, are, are, are on the ballot, much more so than, than any of the individual candidates' names. It's democracy. The rights, civil rights, uh, uh, and it, as it extends into 2024, the Supreme Court again. So I, I wanted you to. How do you? You wrote that in 2016. Are we? We're sitting virtually the same exact uh, scenario now. I think. And wanted to hear what you. If I'm reading that right, that's what you think. Uh, absolutely. And one one line. Uh that you didn't cite, uh, although the ones you did were terrific, I must say. <laughs> well, you wrote them. They were really good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but one thing I said in there, and it applies uh, to all the presidential elections over the last 20 years or more, 
certainly 2016 and 2020 and 2024, people don't realize how fragile civil rights, constitutional rights are. And they think once you get them, like marriage equality or reproductive rights or certain civil rights, they're ours forever. But most of them, especially the last 20 years, were five to four decisions. And by the way, uh, uh, John Roberts, uh, perceived as the moderate, uh, his two five-four uh, decisions on Citizens United uh, and on Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which unleashed a torrent of voter suppression, he may be the second most responsible person for the election of Donald Trump behind James Comey. And a lot of people don't get that, how important it was. I can remember trying to convince senators on uh, John Roberts how bad he could become. With respect to now, we've got to do what the right has done so well. They proudly talked about taking down those constitutional rights and constitutional liberties. Our friends, our Democratic uh, members uh, of, of Congress or appointed mem- uh, members of anywhere, uh, they don't make it an issue. I, I can remember Joe right. John Martilla, probably an old friend of yours, yes, did, yes, did a poll for People of the American Way in 2000 because a lot of people were telling Gore, you can't win on the Supreme Court. And Gore had an eight percentage point lead over George W. Bush, but some staff talked him out of making it an issue. And of course, it was not made an issue of any consequence in 2008 or 2012 or 2016. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us to make sure we do a much better job in what happened just a few days ago, a week or two ago in Texas yeah. uh, on, on that uh, uh, decision by the Supreme Court at midnight, uh, uh, the shadow docket, no hearings, no, uh, no arguments, uh, upheld uh, a Texas law uh, that would make abortions illegal after the sixth week, which is awful and in effect would overturn Roe versus Wade, but also vigilante justice. The people who can afford it, uh, enforce it, would be those who don't like what's going on and can bring them into court. And if they win in court, they get a $10,000 reward. It's unfathomable. Yeah. It's but just, it's happened, and it's not going to be the end unless we do something. No, there are there are other states lining up to 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 pass similar uh, yep. similar restrictions and, and bans. Um, so where what so what are you doing now on the voting rights uh, on voting rights and, and sort of what are your thoughts about the filibuster? I mean, how, how do we you know you know get the Voting Rights Act uh, passed? I mean, what just sort of get your into present day yep. what what you think we need to be doing? Yep. Uh, Alex is going to say, why are you going to do this? Uh, But I want to thank you for the Supreme Court opportunity. Robert Kagan did a great article on Sunday on that we now have a constitutional crisis. And it's an exhaustive, compelling article saying some of the things many of us have been saying for quite a while, but, but very compellingly, extraordinarily exhaustive but he did not include the Supreme Court. And I I bring that up because I want to relate to what I believe the constitutional crisis is and what we could be heading for in 2022 and 2024. The 20 plus states who've enacted voter suppression 
in election subversion, if they're not addressed by the Freedom to Vote Act, which Klobuchar and Manchin put together just recently, millions of American citizens can be disenfranchised in 2022 and probably more in 2024. And it's not just voter suppression, it's the election subversion aspects of the laws where a state legislature can undo the will of the people in a particular state. There are already a number of them that are out there. So the freedom uh, uh, to vote will take care of that and also address all these other uh, laws that have been passed since December 31st, once the Republicans understood that 20 million more Americans voted, and they want to make sure millions of those people do not vote in 2022 and 2024. So that's one layer. And on top of that are these fake audits. Oh, yeah. We were very involved with respect to Maricopa County and Arizona. It looks like there'll be similar ones in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and other states. And why they're so dangerous, and it's not that uh, we didn't do a great job of a coalition and courageous Republican conservatives who just undermine that audit. But it's not so much to win it, it's to give more disinformation material to the base, saying it was rigged in this audit, even though it didn't say so, uh, 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 was another fraudulent act. But it's to get the people ginned up which to, can lead to the enactment of all these laws that they're trying to pass. Right. To set on up top of exactly to set up 2022. So to, to set up it's like exactly. a continuing coup, but it's just happening through it, these laws. That, that, that then coup is the word. Uh, I, I call it January 6th uh, the insurrection by violence. Right. Uh, what we've seen since January 6th is the unarmed insurrection yes. that's occurring all around the United States, especially in certain states uh, where they're trying to undo what happened, especially in 2020. So do you think the, the Senate and the House Democrats under, are, are awake enough to the threat to, to I mean, that's what, I just have this sense that there's sort of like this normalcy bias or something where, where they still think we, we, we still all want to believe that there's two functional parties and that we can work across party lines and and get a deal here. And on this one, I think um, there isn't. I mean, they just, you know, whether it's the filibuster, yeah. sort of that's what I mean. It's like the filibuster debate. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you see, you think eventually there'll be a willingness to to do what needs to get done? Or again, because you've worked we, with all the, uh, with a lot of them in the past we, to get. What I've never understood, Joe, whether it's the Supreme Court or what we're talking about right now, how year after year, decade after decade, Democrats so underestimate the tenacity, the ferocity, yeah. the unwillingness to ever give up and also bend the rules or break the rules, and they win. Our side, and God knows I don't want to recommend unethical, unlawful, immoral behavior, but sometimes you've got to play hardball and you've got to deal with what is happening. And hardball this time only means voting for the Freedom to Vote Act and understanding that Republicans led by Mitch McConnell have been perverting the filibuster for the last 15 or 20 years. 
It's absolutely been a perversion. And what we need is a Robert Byrd. I never knew I would be quoting Robert Byrd so much uh, as I have been over the last five or six months. But he was a guardian of the Senate rules and the processes and protecting the functionality of the Senate and respecting minority rights. But even the author of the 1975 rules change had about six or seven carve-outs, including the Budget Reconciliation Act. And what we're asking for now is a carve-out for voting rights. And hopefully, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema will go with that. Uh, but we have to do that. We have to be able to use the nuclear option, as Senator Byrd did, and other leaders, Republican and Democrat. And there's nothing more important right now in this debate, not even close, than fixing the filibuster. That is by far the most important challenge and determines whether or not uh, we're going to have voting rights to protect tens of millions of Americans, all Americans. It's just not race like the Voting Rights Act, which is very important. It will come up later. But this is especially people with disabilities and veterans and older Americans who were the principal beneficiaries of expanded voting rights in 2020. You know, one thing, Ralph, that I don't think a lot of I think people have really started to get that that you pointed out that in, in another piece you wrote and one thing that when, when we were discussing what to talk about today you, you brought up i don't think a lot of people realize that if the court flips it's not just some of these decisions that are going back and forth you're essentially handing a judicial veto on basically anything that a progressive government is trying to do yeah. one of the better uh lines uh, in, in that article. Uh, and boy, I wish everyone had proved me wrong over the last four or five years. Uh, I, this is critical, the point that you make, because in the years ahead of us, in the decades ahead of us, if the Supreme Court continues along its present or close to it constitution, so to speak, a right-wing, ultra-conservative Supreme Court, they can be what they were on the Voting Rights Act or Citizens United and others. They could be a legislate, a judicial veto. Uh, they could prevent progressive Congresses and presidents for years, if not decades, for having a law that survives. Maybe it gets out of the House and Senate, gets signed into law, and the Supreme Court comes in with this ultra-conservative vote and upends it, and we don't have the law that a majority of the American people, probably a significant majority of the American people, want. So, Ralph, what, what with, with the existing court now, though, what what decisions do you think are in, in peril? Obviously, Roe v. Wade, or what you, you know, what did people not get? That are that are in jeopardy. What are the things that we've been taking for granted that are now really, you know, hanging by a thread? Just about any decision yeah. that counts on on the Commerce Clause, right. and, and people think civil rights and reproductive rights. But if you're looking at healthcare, if you're looking at environmental issues and labor protections, I could go down the line. There's really not a subject that you can come up with that could not be affected adversely by this Supreme Court by a five to four or six to three vote. Again, people, we have to help them understand it's a judicial philosophy. It's just not, 
oh, uh, I, I don't favor abortions or we've gone too far in, in civil rights, some people might say, uh, and we've got to protect them, our side. But, but you've got to articulate that it's not one or two or three issues. It's an expanse of dozens, scores of Supreme Court precedents that go back to 1937. And then, like, and, and, and again, if voting rights itself, if not, these laws that the Republicans are passing are, are likely to get to the Supreme Court and be, yes. be ruled a okay, you know, so that it just keep, you know, it, which then makes sure everything else falls apart too. It's pretty, pretty, pretty dangerous. Because voting is the bedrock, yeah. uh, the foundation of our democracy. To prove your point and, and, and my point, uh, Joe, in 1981, I spent many, many, and 82 hours with senators and uh, members of Congress on voting rights. And at the end, especially Bob Doe. And Bob Doe was the architect of the Doe-Kennedy-Mathias compromise on the Voting Rights Act on Section 2 and Section 5. That bill was reauthorized in 2006 by a 98 to 0 vote in the Senate. And the Supreme Court, led by John Roberts, gutted it. 98 to zero and a comparable amount of uh, difference in the uh, House of Representatives. Nothing is safe, not even bills passed unanimously by the Senate and almost unanimously by the House. That's how severe this challenge is. Well, the one thing uh, you said earlier that you wished uh, that you had been wrong about a lot of this, uh, I, 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 one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because, again, going back through the years, uh, uh, at every point, I thought you had a real, uh, the best understanding I could think of of what was going on with the court, how important uh, these fights were, uh, and again, predicting what would happen as people didn't pay attention. I'm trying to figure how how do we get people to pay? Do you have any thoughts about how we engage the 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 uh, the p American people and uh, I mean, people for the American way did a great job of doing that. By the by, the way, back uh, back when you and I were working together. Uh, but yep. what do you what 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 is something that people that are listening here can start to do um, or or organizations that they should pay attention to or help? I just trying to get uh, get your read on on where we are today and what people can do. You made such an important point because I've been a little bit hard on elected officials and appointed officials. And of course, they're gonna get more airtime and the ability to try to persuade people. But we've got to think about civic society, civil society. We've got to think about the advocacy organization as Alex mentioned before, there are hundreds of them and a lot of them have the ability to get this message out. But as with everything we've ever done, especially Joe Trippi on grassroots campaigns and in Iowa and elsewhere, you have to make sure you're organizing and organizing and organizing and educating along with that organizing work. That's where it's going to be won. Uh, and hopefully in the years ahead, we're going to have some electoral reform with respect to partisan gerrymandering that's in this Freedom uh, to Vote uh, uh, Act uh, and, 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 and giving people a better opportunity to be educated, to vote, and to have that vote count. A lot of people forget the latter half. It's the ability to vote, the voting opportunity, but to have the vote count. One last point on this, Joe, in terms of pressure, right? Uh, I do think 
that we've got to convince people that this is the gravest threat to democracy, not just in our lifetimes, but the greatest international external threat, of course, was World War II. The greatest in, internal threat was the Civil War. This is how serious what's going on is right now. The Civil War, then this. I thought Watergate was pretty serious, right. but it was. This dwarfs Watergate in terms of being an existential threat to democracy. Pretty scary. Yeah, no, it's really scary. Uh, and, no, it's, <laughs> and it gets into why... Uh, you know, I've been calling yeah, for, to, to, to create a, bro, a pro-democracy coalition of, of groups across the ideological spectrum, a lot like what you put together in the fight um, uh, against Bork. Again, just get it, it, people uh, with all our oars in the water paddling to save democracy and not, not, not get into, uh, you know, we can argue about marginal tax rates uh, in, in, sometime in the future. <laughs> When it'll be safe yeah. to do that again, um, but right now I think it's about building a, uh, and getting organizations across the spectrum. Uh, again, former Republicans, Republicans, Independents, mm -hmm. Democrats, uh, and different groups uh, to to stand up for democracy um, and and uh, uh, against sort of this authoritarian um, movement that's uh, that's you know taken over the Republican Party. Uh, that, that they've been building for quite a while, but I, but it, it the yeah. threat. I agree with you. The threat is now, and we need a pro democracy coalition to to stop it. And of course, you you've led a lot of those coalitions, uh, Ralph. And uh, I'm sure we'll be paddling together in this one. Uh, I'm just going to say whether it's the Lincoln Project and what you're putting together now. Count me in. Uh, that's that's the kind. Uh, of coalition we need, and you're the kind of leader that we need who understands the public mood, who understands the substantive issues in the politics. Uh, and if I'd stayed in the race, I probably could have been elected if I had kept you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, look, we're out of time, Ralph, but uh, we're going to put the in the show notes, I think we should put that Robert... Uh, uh, the Robert Kagan piece, along with a couple of the things that we we said, hey, Ralph, you wrote this in 2016. I think it's interesting, it, it, you know, to, to let people uh, at the end of this uh, this episode, if they want to check those links out and uh, uh, we'll include them in the links in the show notes. Uh, if you haven't yet, um, you know, people. Uh, oh, hey, Ralph, where can people uh, or listeners find your work? Is there a place on the internet or, or uh, Twitter or something? You're talking about just recent work yeah, yeah. Uh, or yeah. body work? No, no, the, where, what, what you're doing now or what? The, the Century Foundation uh, has got a number of articles that I've done recently uh, with Tim Worth and, and Dick, Harpart, Dick uh, Gebhardt and, uh, and Gary Hart uh, on exposing the big lie. Uh, that's all up on the Century Foundation site and uh, as you know, I haven't been out of action for two or three years. Uh, there there sure. uh, are not a, a lot of recent things uh, uh, that we could point to. Sure. Uh, but that, but that. Well, uh, we'll link to the foundation. I mean, the post important one, yeah. Yeah, no, we'll link to the foundation site and, uh, and your stuff there. Oh, that's got a, a lot of good cool. stuff. Absolutely. Well, we'll include those links in the show notes. 
If you haven't yet, uh, please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And please do share uh, this episode with a friend. I think it's really important to, to spread uh, Ralph's message on what we need to, to do and, and, and what's at stake. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much, Ralph, for, for joining us.